believe we're just three days out from the 2020 U.S. presidential election. The incumbent Donald Trump and the Democratic challenger Joe Biden. Now, we have some last-minute trends and things that are breaking over the weekend, the big days on Tuesday, November 3rd. We'll take a look at some of the more interesting things that are falling between the cracks right now, and we'll have something special for you uh, towards the end of the show. We'll be looking at a lot of different things, a few key battleground states. So we're going to be looking at optics as well, how that's playing out in terms of the image of both candidates and how that's driving voters. But let's talk about mainstream polling. Here's one. This is the state of New Hampshire. Now, we talked a lot about mainstream polling before and national opinion polls and whether they're dependable or not. Now, New Hampshire in the primary season, this is one of the early states to cast ballots. So all eyes are on New Hampshire. That's something everybody's used to in an election. Now, this is what they're putting out in terms of mainstream polling in New Hampshire. Biden, 58%. Trump, 39%. Joe Jorgensen, libertarian candidate, 1%. Now, look at this massive margin uh, by Joe Biden, plus 19 points. So we're seeing a lot of this sort of thing uh, going into the weekend, uh, pronouncements of massive leads by Joe Biden, but this is running contrary to the data and the statistics and the analysis that we're looking at in terms of independent analysis and also more trustworthy sources than some of the mainstream networks polls, for instance. And so it's telling us a very different story, especially in the key swing states. So our question is, is this really correct? Is this an accurate rep representation of how New Hampshire is going to play out? Well, we'll soon find out, won't we? So a lot of people say that it might not, but well, it depends who you're listening to and who you believe. Now, we talked a lot about earlier about the salsa bounce, and this is something that's massive, especially in a key swing state like Florida. And we're going to be looking at this is from Manny here, and he's what he's saying is, is interesting. He's saying, while the Democratic Party rejoices in their white upper-class suburban gains, they're hemorrhaging Hispanic support nationwide, and a trend looks to be long-term. As an immigrant from Mexico myself, I have seen the ripple effects in my own family, dozens of us, by the way. So a lot of people are talking about this. Now, is this real? Can we back this up with some numbers? Well, let's take a look at some numbers. This is from the state of Florida. 29 electoral votes, very big Hispanic Latino community. And we're looking at this. This is a color-coded map. And look at the, co the counties and the regions here uh, in red, dark red, uh, blue, light blue. And I'm giving you some idea of where the Republican support is, where the Democratic support is widely. Uh, within the Latino vote. So the Democrats clearly have a massive lead in this uh, demographic. Um, but in key counties and in key areas, one of those we're looking at is Miami-Dade area. Look at that, a surprising amount of GOP, of Republican support, a surprising patch of red. What does that mean? That means that the GOP have clearly made gains within the Hispanic community. So Manny is correct. Uh, on their previous tweets. So uh, that's something that could swing a close state like Florida. Now, a lot of people are saying GOP is surging in early voting, new voter registration, and have improved their share of the Hispanic and Latino vote. So that's something to keep an eye on. Now, we talked earlier about early voting, about postal voting, and how that's really important in key battleground states. One of the most important states, obviously, is the state of Pennsylvania. This is what everybody's looking at in terms of this could be one of the deciding states in a very close or a tight uh, presidential race in 2020. And here is an analysis 
by Ebal 0911. And this is what he's saying in terms of the work he's done. He's looking at Pennsylvania early voting by party affiliation. And look at this chart here and what you'll see, obviously the red being Republican, uh, the Democrats being blue. And we're looking at this area here. I mean, look at the gap that's developed here in terms of this is moving forward into uh, the last couple of days, the end of October. And what you can see is by party affiliation, according to this analysis, uh, the Republicans do have uh, somewhat of an advantage or they've increased uh, their share, especially in a state like Pennsylvania. So this does very much reflect what we looked at earlier in terms of new voter registration, uh, in terms of more enthusiasm, uh, in terms of uh, moderates being, you know, leaving the Democrat side and going over to the Republican side or voting for Trump. So that's something to keep a close eye on. We've seen all of the signs of the telltale signs have been there uh, over the last couple of weeks. This is definitely a trend that's moving red uh, in the state of Pennsylvania. And what does that mean? That means that, well, look at this uh, headline here by the Lehigh Valley newspaper. Uh, we get PA, we win the whole thing. This is what Trump said recently. This is from the Morning Call. Very influential district there. Massive white working class uh, district. This is coal mining territory uh, from decades ago. So big Trump support in some of these areas. So look at this, Pennsylvania. They're saying that this could be the state to determine. Now we think that the margin might be slightly more than that going into November 3rd that the Electoral College landslide may actually be forming right now in favor of the GOP. We'll wait and see uh, how that develops. So we talked a little bit earlier about some of the court challenges in terms of the late ballot submissions, and we still have a number of states that are in play. Uh, North Carolina, that's a potential flashpoint there. We're still looking at uh, Pennsylvania. Recent Supreme Court ruling on that as well. Wisconsin and uh, Michigan, possibly. Uh, at least something's been decided at the state Supreme Court level. We don't know if things are going to go further or not. So these are the sort of key battleground states where there's these legal and court challenges that could potentially be disruptive after November 3rd. So for more on this, joining us now is a very special guest uh, live from Las Vegas, Nevada, Robert Barnes, attorney at law and uh, self-confessed political gambler is joining us on the line right now. Robert, how are you doing? Doing good. So uh, just straight off the bat, Robert, we've been following your, your feed over the last couple of months uh, as well in the People's Pundit as well. You guys are doing amazing work. Uh, my first question is, you know, why don't you trust mainstream national opinion polls? What have you got against those mainstream polls, Robert? Uh, they've just been poor predictors of what election outcomes are likely to be. Not a primary tool. And because of that, uh, they're just unreliable and untrustworthy. And that is enhanced by the political bias of those who are gatekeepers for which polls get included and which ones get excluded. So uh, people like the Nate Silvers of the world, Nate Cohn, Harry Enten, these people have a political bias uh, that shapes which polls they allow to be published and promoted uh, and pushed rather than those that they try to exclude and isolate. The, the most successful pollsters of 2016 are mostly excluded from even being in, on the list of, public, of published polls on groups like Nate Silver's uh, 538. So uh, there's even more reason this cycle to distrust the polls than prior years. And just give us an idea of how long you've kind of had this methodology. How far back have you been kind of betting on elections or looking in this way? 
so my system started when I was just a kid back in 1988. I've been betting on presidential elections ever since in some form or fashion. My biggest bet ever was 2016. Never lost a presidential election year bet. And during that entire time period, uh, I never looked at polls. I considered polls as sort of irrelevant, inconsequential. That look at what people have actually done in terms of behavior, look at objective metrics, voter registration and primary participation rate and ratings and uh, yard signs and rally size and uh, and also what people in terms of what the economy looks like, what the context or situation is in terms of more war or less war. And those things are much better predictors of what's going to happen in a presidential election than what a pollster finds uh, in testing out the someone's ability to predict their own election forecast. So that my election forecasting mechanism has been has never lost. We'll see what happens in 2020. So when, when you're betting on elections and things like that, obviously you need a, a degree of objectivity. I think that even more objectivity maybe than a political analyst, for instance, that's kind of got a, a, a political edge that they're trying to push or an angle. So you've got this objectivity, Robert, but within the objectivity, are you seeing, do you see a massive disconnect between what's being projected in terms of like media, mainstream coverage, mainstream analysis, and then what's happening like on the street or what's happening out in the real world? Uh, there's a complete disconnect at almost every single level. So presidential primary participation rates would say Trump easy. Voter registration data would say Trump easy. Uh, the uh, almost all historical uh, trends would say Trump. Professor North's model says Trump. The Oxford GDP model says Trump. Uh, the lack of a new war says Trump uh, in the last four years. So the uh, and then almost all of the other objective metrics, yard signs, rally size, uh, social media trends, as as other professors have identified, all of these things say Trump, 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 Trump. The only thing saying otherwise are the polls, and they're predicting the biggest Democratic uh, election landslide since 1964. So uh, you could not have a bigger gap. Uh, but uh, so far, the, the what's happening on the ground just completely refutes what the polls are predicting. And there's, a, there's some legal challenges. There's a number of uh, court cases. Some of them have gone up to the Supreme Court. Uh, obviously, with your legal background, you're looking at this with great interest. Is there any uh, disruptive potential with any of these cases? I'm talking about Pennsylvania, uh, North Carolina, Wisconsin, uh, possibly in Michigan as well, these, these swing states where these challenges on late voter submissions. What, what do you think about this? Uh, if the election is very, very close, as in within a point in swing states, then we're going to see litigation that will make Bush v. Gore look like a walk in the park. So the, uh, it all depends on this. On if Trump wins by two or more in these swing states, election over, nobody has to worry about it. If it's really close, then we're just going to see a massive legal war for the next month. So even with an electoral landslide, let's say Trump achieves something as good or greater than what he achieved in 2016 in terms of electoral votes, you're saying it really comes down to the margins within each of those individual states. Exactly. If the margin is less than a point, you're going to see Democrats will all claim that the voter suppression and absence of being able to turn in their ballots for two weeks after election day is the only reason Trump won. And so they'll litigate it and fight it and contest it for as long and as much as possible. If the lead is big enough, they won't fight it. But if the, but if the lead is small, the legal war is coming.
You know, we saw what happened with, uh, let's say, you talked about Bush v. Gore in 2000. Al Franken comes to mind uh, in the Senate race in Minnesota in 2008. I mean, how long could this drag on, this kind of air of uh, undecided results? It could go, I mean, Bush v. Gore went all the way to December. Uh, this could go all the way to Inauguration Day. If it was really, really close, don't be surprised if it gets dragged on. The U.S. Supreme Court has hinted it will not allow that to happen in some of its decisions that it issued and in the decision it issued in Bush v. Gore. But, you know, the, there's a lot of unknown votes on the Supreme Court, so time will tell. But it could easily go all the way up to Inauguration Day. And the uh, the nomination of Justice Amy Coney Barrett, a lot of people thought that, uh, you know, getting her into position before the election, but as it turned out uh, in the recent uh, decision there, uh, she didn't weigh in, actually. So is is the time factor, is that is that does that mean that she might not uh, be that sort of deciding conservative vote on a on a split decision like that? No doubt, because it's much tougher to stop ballot counting that's controversial ballot counting after a ballot is already in than it is beforehand. If you say, look, you have to have your ballot in and that's it, everybody knew the rules, no problem. It's going to be much harder for the Supreme Court to try to throw out ballots simply because they were received late. So uh, uh, Barrett is, an, in my view, an unreliable and untrustworthy vote. Uh, time will tell what she actually does. So all of this this talk of late you know late ballot submissions even in South Carolina I don't know about other states but they're saying that uh, you don't have to have a signature or to validate the signature on the ballot because of the pandemic because of covid all under the color of the pandemic so is is do you see the lockdown the pandemic I mean besides it having an effect on changing election rules in some states do you do you consider this to be a a real wedge issue in 2020 no doubt. I mean, Democrats have used it to argue that somehow you can't even request a ballot like you normally could because of the pandemic. So people had to have it sent to them involuntarily, uh, suggested that you have to uh, that people can't even return the ballot. They, they only can give it to their mailbox uh, on the grounds of the pandemic. So I think the pandemic has been used as a pretext for some legitimate reforms and not requiring certain kinds of in-person contact. And also the envelope's been pushed for things that don't appear to even be related to the pandemic. Nothing about the pandemic prevents you from dropping off a ballot at an election location. Nothing about the pandemic prevents you from requesting a ballot. And yet that's what Democrats' claims are. So they, I think sometimes they've hid behind the pandemic for as a pretext simply to flood uh, the ballot box with as many ballots as they possibly can harvest and gather. And coming into the sort of the end of this, a lot of people were remarking already that this is just eerily similar uh, to a lot of the conditions from the 2016 election, the sort of the big projections of leads by Hillary Clinton. Biden seems to be doing similar numbers in national polls, national opinion polls. And uh, is, is this kind of setting it up for a repeat of 2016 in that when Hillary lost, they, they blamed it, they said that the election was stolen from her. And they blamed it on the Russians in that case. If that happens this time, how do you think the narrative is going to play out? What, what, what do you think the, uh, the, the where they'll put the blame in terms of how the election was stolen from Biden? They'll claim vote suppression, and this is already being previewed by Nate Silver, who basically was calling for polls to have inflated Biden margins so that he and others could claim when Trump wins, uh, or if Trump wins, that the election was stolen. I mean, he said this publicly now. Uh, so the uh, clearly that's the objective. They, they're planning it in advance even more overtly than they did in 2016. 
Uh, but they've just changed the culprit. The culprit will now be voter suppression uh, rather than uh, Russia. They, they may throw Russia in at, at some level, who knows? Uh, but uh, clearly that's their plan. Their plan is if Trump wins, the claim it was stolen, they cannot acknowledge that the American voting public just disagrees with them. If they do claim voter suppression, you've looked at the numbers in terms of early votes, and there's been surprising performance from Republicans uh, in sort of early voting and mail-in voting in a lot of states. And a lot of people expected this was going to be, you know, the Democrats would be leading in this trend right across the board. So in terms of late votes, there, there might not be uh, that late vote tally. I mean, the Democrats have done a lot of early voting and a lot of mail-in voting as well. So is there going to be like a legitimate tranche of last-minute votes in Pennsylvania, for instance, as a swing state? Or do you think this is just going to be a lot of noise in, on the legal front, in the courts, and in the media? I mean, at least according to the polls and all data that's available, the election day surge is only going to come amongst working-class rural Trump supporters, uh, not uh, urban, uh, you know, minority millennial Democratic Biden supporters. Now, you never know. We won't know until it actually occurs what's going to happen. But at least all data so far, all evidence in so far, shows Republicans overperforming vote expectations and polling expectations and Democrats underperforming polling expectations and data expectations. So there won't be much evidentiary basis to claim vote suppression as the excuse. But that won't stop them from doing it. There was no basis for Russiagate either. And are you going to be releasing, the last thing, are you going to be releasing your, uh, your, your bets, your calls for the election, uh, the down-ballot races and, and other bets? Uh, and where, if so, where can people find it? Sure, you can go to Twitter at Barnes underscore Law. There's also, I have a small YouTube page of Barnes Law that has it posted as well. Or you can go to uh, People's Pundit uh, Daily, which has a YouTube, uh, What are the Odds show, where I went through all of that in detail. And he's also doing independent polling. And he was the most successful pollster of the last three electoral cycles. And he shows at Trump uh, close everywhere. Uh, and so uh, the all of those places, people can find the information that they want. Uh, my view is I think Trump is going to pull off another upset that might even be bigger than Truman's upset went over the polls in 1948. Thank you very much, Robert Barnes. And uh, good luck uh, in the next couple of days and, of course, on Election Day as well. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's a fantastic segment with our guest, Robert Barnes. Now, in previous episodes, we talked about the all-important topic of optics. So how are the different campaigns playing to different swing demographics? How is the Biden campaign looking to those swing voters in those key states? How is the Trump campaign looking? How is he playing in Peoria? How is he playing in Montana? How is he playing in Pennsylvania? How is Biden playing in Arizona? How is it looking? And so optics is very important. Now, here's one side-by-side -side comparison that really, I think, speaks volumes to where things are at in 2020. Now, take a look at this. We talked about the two candidates, Trump, Biden. We talked about optics. Look at this, 2020 optics. This is a Trump rally. He's coming in by helicopter. They've got Creedence Clearwater Revival blaring over the loudspeakers. And then there's Joe Biden uh, in the lower screen coming down the stairs to uh, be received by uh, guests and not very many of them, a few hand-picked guests. They're all staying within the boundaries of circles 
to adhere to social distancing. Biden's wearing a mask. I mean, that's what's happening uh, right now across the country. And you have to look at this and you have to think to yourself, you know, has the Biden campaign got it completely wrong? Is this the worst miscalculation uh, in terms of optics and public relations uh, in electoral history? This is a fair question to ask. I mean, you look at what Trump's doing, look at what Biden's doing. Which one of those is going to excite voters? Which one is going to bring those swing voters over? We talked about lockdown being a wedge issue in 2020. It most certainly is. And so when you see scenes like this, uh, it's really going to make a big difference, I think, uh, from an emotional uh, point of view. So based on a lot of things that we've seen in the last couple of days, I mean, there's so much uh, data to pour through. Uh, there's so much stuff to look at. But based on what we've seen, it does look like we might make a few adjustments uh, to our uh, Electoral College map, uh, to a scenario that we're working on right now. And it does look like Arizona. Uh, there might be a late break uh, for Arizona. It certainly seems like it anyway. So Arizona looks like it's going red. Now, if that's the case, Arizona has 11 electoral votes, and that's going to bring the totals up to a slightly different tally uh, than we had before. Let's take a look at our updated scenario in terms of electoral votes. Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Donald Trump now at 325, 325 electoral votes, and that's to Biden's 213. The, 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 the gap seems to be widening there in terms of electoral college. Now, this is just based on what we've been looking at consistently over the last weeks, uh, how, especially looking at the key swing states. So we're not looking at the, the popular vote. We're not looking at national opinion polls. That's not what we're looking at. We're looking at specific key swing states, and it's given us this story at the end. So uh, we'll see how it plays out. We could be completely off base, uh, certainly. Well, it depends who you believe at the end of the day, but we'll find out uh, in about three days' time. So we might ch check back with you if, uh, if we're able to uh, in the next couple of days, hopefully before Election Day. In the meantime, uh, what you can do is go to 21st Century Wire's live blog, Election Edge, and you'll see a number of people in there posting latest tips, some updates, things that might be missed by mainstream analysis. Basil Valentine, uh, myself, and other contributors are also posting on there. So go check that out at Election Edge. Though that's just three days uh, before the election, it's hard to believe that it's already here. This has been such a short, compact national uh, campaign uh, in 2020, so it's definitely going to be interesting. Uh, this is going to be a wild weekend, no doubt, and possibly some controversies might uh, surface on Monday, maybe early Tuesday, and certainly beyond that, and we'll, we'll be here to try to give you some analysis and some information on that. But uh, take care, and we'll see you next time.